Hello and welcome to the English Learners Book Club. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. If you haven't done so already, you can listen to a free audiobook of the first chapter in an earlier episode of the podcast. Vocab lists and other resources are available at our website, englishlearnersbookclub.wordpress.com, and you can also keep up to date with us on Instagram at elb underscore podcast. With all of that being said, let's get started. The Great Gatsby was first published in 1925. It was the third novel by American author F. Scott Fitzgerald, who was born in Minnesota in 1896. Occasionally, his novels were inspired by aspects of his own life. His first novel, This Side of Paradise, for example, uses Princeton University as its setting. Fitzgerald had been a student there, but left before graduating to join the U.S. Army. In 1918, he met Zelda Sayre while stationed in Alabama. They fell madly in love and were married in 1920, the same year in which his first novel was published. The book brought the Fitzgeralds much fame and success. Their daughter, Scotty, was born in 1921. The couple's private life has become almost as famous as their literary work. They were young and rich and beautiful. They attended glamorous parties and jumped in fountains and sat atop taxis. Behind the exciting appearance, however, the couple experienced private struggles. Their social lives were dependent on alcohol use, and eventually Scott became an alcoholic, and Zelda increasingly struggled with mental illness. Their marriage went through several affairs. In 1924, they moved to France together. It was there that Fitzgerald began writing The Great Gatsby. The book was published in 1925. While living in France, Fitzgerald befriended numerous other expatriates, including Ernest Hemingway. Zelda and Hemingway did not get on well with each other. This group of American expatriates in Paris during the 1920s are referred to as the Lost Generation. The term was first used by Gertrude Stein, an influential writer and art collector. The Lost Generation lived through World War I, where they lost much of their youth and idealism. Gertrude Stein called Fitzgerald the most talented writer of his generation, the one with the brightest flame. The Fitzgeralds returned to America in 1926. They spent some time in Hollywood, where Fitzgerald worked on writing films for a time. Zelda's struggles with mental illness became increasingly apparent, and after a mental breakdown in 1930, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Their heavy drinking lifestyle eventually caught up with Fitzgerald, and he began to experience health problems as a result. He was hospitalized for alcoholism on multiple occasions. By 1937, Scott and Zelda were estranged. They were no longer close with one another, and Scott moved back to Hollywood without her. Even though Fitzgerald gained sobriety and stopped drinking alcohol in the year preceding his death, he died of a heart attack at the age of just 44. His final novel remained half-finished. Zelda died eight years later, in 1948, when a fire broke out in the hospital in which she was staying, while Zelda was locked in her room. The Great Gatsby begins with an epigraph. An epigraph is a short quotation or saying at the beginning of a book or chapter, which usually evokes its theme. The Great Gatsby's epigraph reads as follows. Then wear the gold hat, if that will move her. If you can bounce high, bounce for her too. Till she cry, lover, gold-hatted, high-bouncing lover, I must have you. If we analyze this little poem, 
we will see how it foreshadows the themes of the novel itself. The poem offers advice on how to win over a love interest. It advises the lover to do whatever it takes to impress this woman. Wear the gold hat, bounce high, as high as it takes, no matter if you end up looking foolish in the process. Perhaps you can already see how this relates to the novel. Jay Gatsby takes the same approach to winning Daisy's affections. He becomes as wealthy as he can, buys a mansion as big as possible, moves in right across the bay from her. He throws glamorous parties and hosts as many people as will come, all in the hope that Daisy will arrive one day and fall for him all over again. The poem is attributed to Thomas Parc d'Anvilliers, a poet who does not really exist. D'Anvilliers is in fact a character from Fitzgerald's This Side of Paradise, and so the poem was actually written by Fitzgerald himself. Why would Fitzgerald use an epigraph from a fictional poet? Well, this too relates to the themes and contents of the novel itself. Like this poem written by a fictional poet, Jay Gatsby, or Jimmy Gatz, creates his own fiction and adopts an invented identity and persona. The Great Gatsby is set during the 1920s, a period now often referred to as the Jazz Age, or the Roaring Twenties. The economy was doing well, and people had more money to spend. It was a period when, as Fitzgerald himself put it, the parties were bigger, the pace was faster, the buildings were higher, the morals looser. January 1920 marked the beginning of the Prohibition era, a period of over a decade in American history when the sale of alcohol became illegal. Prohibition led to a rise in criminal activity, including gangs of bootleggers, those who illegally sold alcohol. The most famous of these was Chicago's Al Capone, who became among the most famous names in the country. Meanwhile, other stars rose to fame in Hollywood, where the film industry rose to new heights. The soundtrack to all this was, of course, jazz music. It was an era of new dances, new fashions, and new ideals, an era which F. Scott Fitzgerald managed to encapsulate in his novel. Just like our last book club pick, A Study in Scarlet, the Great Gatsby is narrated by a character within the story. It uses first-person narration. In this case, our narrator is Nick Carraway. Carraway is from the American Midwest, like Fitzgerald, and decides to move east after returning from the war to work in the bond business. The bond business involves buying and selling bonds in the financial market. It was a popular way to earn one's fortune in America in the 1920s. Nick moves into the house in the West Egg area of Long Island, New York, and this setting is an important aspect of the novel. East and West Egg are fictional stand-ins for real-life peninsulas of Long Island. A peninsula is a piece of land which projects out into a body of water. These beach communities were areas where some of the most wealthy people in New York lived. In fact, they remain so to this day. Even though both East and West Egg are home to rich communities, there is a difference between them. The old money, or those who have inherited their wealth down through the generations, like Tom and Daisy Buchanan, lived in East Egg. Those who have gained their wealth more recently, the nouveau riche like Gatsby, lived in the West Egg. Nick becomes Gatsby's neighbor when he moves into his eyesore of a house, a small home almost hidden between two much larger ones. Those living in the East Egg looked down on those in the West Egg, who were not quite as used to the social etiquette and manners and tastes of upper-class society as they were. Even Nick refers to the West Egg as the less fashionable of the two. 
Take Gatsby's house, for example. It is an imitation of a French chateau, an imitation of class and grandeur that, for all its impressiveness, doesn't quite fit in with its surroundings. This is how the old money of East Egg look at their West Egg neighbours. One night, Nick travels to East Egg to visit his cousin Daisy and her husband Tom, who he knew at Yale. He also meets Jordan Baker, a friend of Daisy's and professional golfer. Tom Buchanan is a character who represents the worst qualities of the old money American socialites. He comes from money and even in his school days was known to spend it well into excess. Despite his wealth buying him one of the best educations, he is seemingly not very bright, although according to Nick he was a famous American football player in university for a short time. He is a racist who reads books such as The Rise of the Coloured Empires and insists that they are scientific apparently to Nick and Daisy's scorn. They do not say anything to his face, however, as he is a powerful man who has no problem using his strength when he wants to get his way, either by suggesting his brute strength with a powerful tug at the arm or by outright violence. Daisy is Nick's cousin, charming and beautiful with an outgoing nature, but in moments of weakness, particularly when she is alone with Nick, she seems bored, depressed and distant. She describes what she wants for her daughter is to be a fool, because that is the best thing a girl can be in the world. Daisy's depression is explained by the fact that all the world will allow her to be is a beautiful fool, as smart or funny women were often seen as a nuisance or a bother to the powerful men of the day. She is described by Gatsby as having a voice that is full of money, a description which Nick seems to agree with wholeheartedly. One of Daisy's best friends is Jordan Baker, a famous golfer and beauty, with questionable morals that only become more apparent as the novel goes on. During Nick's first visit to the Buchanans, Tom takes a phone call, which Jordan reveals is most likely from his mistress in New York. Sometime later, Nick and Tom take the train from Long Island into the city. Tom gets off at a stop along the way and encourages Nick to come along with him. They have arrived at the Valley of Ashes. The Valley of Ashes is the name given to an industrial area between Long Island and Manhattan. While East and West Egg are home to New York's most rich, the Valley of Ashes is where those without wealth must reside. It is not literally a Valley of Ashes, but a grey and smoky area filled with factories and industrial activity. There, Tom leads Nick to a garage owned by George Wilson, and even meets his wife, Myrtle, who, unbeknownst to her husband, is having an affair with Tom Buchanan. Although handsome, George seems spiritless and beaten down by life. Clearly his environment has taken its toll on him. Dust covered even his suit and hair. In his wife, meanwhile, Nick can see evidence of vitality and liveliness. She makes excuses to her husband, and Tom takes her and Nick to New York. There they visit an apartment where Tom conducts his affair with Myrtle, and are joined by Myrtle's sister and another couple. As usual, the party eventually discuss Nick's infamous neighbour, Gatsby, and swap rumours about the source of his wealth. They also become increasingly drunk, and Myrtle grows increasingly argumentative. She loudly chants Daisy's name until an enraged Tom punches her. The evening ends on this sour note. Hanging over the Valley of Ashes, on a fading billboard, are the bespectacled eyes of Dr. T. J. Eckelberg a remnant of an advert placed by an oculist and one of the most visually striking images in the novel, one that is used on the most famous cover of the book itself. While the true meaning behind this image is not clear, it is believed that they might be the eyes of God, 
watching over the immoral and debauched behavior in American society. All summer, Nick can hear the festivities next door, the guests arriving and the music playing. He sees the same guests leave again well past midnight. He watches food and decorations arrive at the house in time for the weekend. He sees the cleaners and the gardeners repairing the damage done the morning after. Eventually, he receives an invitation to one of these parties himself. When he arrives, he realizes that most party-goers arrive uninvited. At first, Nick feels uncomfortable among all these guests he does not recognize, until he spots a familiar face in Jordan Baker. She introduces him to her friends, and as always, rumors begin to swirl about their host. Nick and Jordan set out to find him, and Nick eventually meets the mysterious Gatsby without even realizing it. They are well into their conversation before his identity becomes known to Nick. He does not fit Nick's image of him, and Nick only becomes more curious about him after this meeting. He notices how Gatsby himself maintains a distance from the party, standing apart and not drinking. He does not join in and dance with the many guests. As Nick leaves the party, he comes across a wrecked car and Owl Eyes, a man he and Jordan spoke to in the library earlier that night, an event which foreshadows the car incident later in the novel. Gatsby and Nick speak again throughout the summer, but Nick begins to feel that Gatsby had little to say. One day, he takes Nick on a car ride. On this drive, Gatsby tells Nick a version of his past. He claims to have been educated in Oxford, to have collected jewels in Europe, to have received awards for serving in World War I. His facts don't all quite add up, however. He says he's from the Midwest, but specifies San Francisco. In New York, he introduces Nick to Mayor Wolfsheim, a so-called business partner of Gatsby's and the man who fixed the 1919 World Series. This connection increases Nick's skepticism of Gatsby and suggests that organized crime is likely to be the true source of his great wealth. That afternoon, Jordan tells Nick the details of the conversation she shared with Gatsby at his party. At this point, Jordan temporarily becomes our narrator. She takes us back in time to Louisville, Kentucky in 1917, where she and Daisy, then Daisy Faye, grew up. She tells Nick that back then, before she married Tom Buchanan, Daisy had been in love with a young lieutenant named Jay Gatsby. Her family prevented her from marrying him, and soon he had to leave for the war. By the time he returned, Daisy and Tom were already married. Gatsby bought his house in West Egg just to be across the bay from Daisy. He still loved her and wanted to be near her and to win her back. Nick remembers the first night he saw Gatsby. He watched him extend his arms towards a distant green light across the water. The green light is one of the most memorable images in The Great Gatsby. Nick realizes that it is not just the green light Gatsby was reaching for, but his lost love. It symbolizes hope, as well as Gatsby's love for Daisy, money, and the American dream. It is an elusive and powerful object that has great symbolic meaning for Gatsby. For him, the green light proved that he and Daisy existed in the same world, and suggested the possibility that they might someday meet again. Nick becomes a crucial part of Gatsby's plan to win Daisy back. Through Jordan, he asks Nick to invite Daisy over for tea, so that Gatsby can show up too and the pair can reunite. It rains on the day of the meeting. Gatsby has Nick's lawn mowed in preparation, and even gets flowers delivered to the house. When he arrives, he is visibly nervous. Daisy arrives late, and at first the meeting is awkward. But once Nick has left them alone for a time, 
he returns to find the pair seeming blissfully happy. Gatsby then takes Daisy along with a hesitant Nick on a tour of his mansion. He leads her proudly from room to room. He even tells her about the green light across the bay. The significance of the light is lost now that Daisy is real to him again. It becomes merely a green light on a dock once more. Nick wonders to himself if the real Daisy will ever live up to Gatsby's idealized image of her. At this point, Nick reveals the truth of Gatsby's personal history in order to set the record straight. His real name was James Gatz, and his real homestead was North Dakota. He changed his name to Gatsby at the age of 17. He met a copper mogul and multi-millionaire named Dan Cody that same year, and soon became his assistant. Travelling with Cody, Gatsby was introduced to wealth and luxury. He inherited money from Cody, but was prevented from ever receiving this inheritance by the rich man's widow. One afternoon, Nick visits Gatsby's house and is surprised to bump into Tom Buchanan there, along with several others. There is a perceptible contrast between Tom and Gatsby, old money and new. Gatsby accepts a dinner invitation which had been offered merely as a formality, out of politeness. Tom looks down on Gatsby for his ignorance of high society etiquette and manners. Gatsby simply mistook insincerity for real politeness. That weekend, Tom and Daisy attend one of Gatsby's parties. Tom is arrogant and snobbish as always. Nick sees Gatsby dance at one of his parties for the first time, with Daisy, who despite this dance appears to have had an unpleasant evening. Tom states his suspicion that Gatsby is a bootlegger, but Nick and Daisy disagree with him. After Tom and Daisy have left, Nick sees that Gatsby is upset that Daisy didn't enjoy herself. He feels a distance remains between them. He wants Daisy to leave Tom, to never have loved him at all, for everything to return to the way it was back in Louisville, and for them to be married. He tells Nick that he'll fix everything just the way it was before. Now that he has reunited with Daisy, Gatsby puts an end to his parties. Daisy hosts a lunch and invites Nick, Gatsby and Jordan. Tom and Daisy's daughter also makes an appearance. Gatsby can hardly believe in her existence. Throughout the afternoon, Daisy makes little effort to hide her affection for Gatsby. Eventually, even Tom notices the love between them when he sees their eyes meet. Aggressively, he takes up Daisy's suggestion that they all go into the city. Nick and Jordan join Tom in Gatsby's car, while Daisy and Gatsby take Tom's. As they drive, Tom makes it clear that he has noticed Daisy and Gatsby's affair. Nick, Tom and Jordan stop for fuel at Wilson's and realize that he too has discovered his wife's affair. He tells them that he intends to move out west with her. As Nick notices, the differences between these two men, which once seemed so vast, quickly began to shrink. In New York, the group take a suite at the Plaza Hotel. Tom becomes even more confrontational with Gatsby. He interrogates him on his habit of calling people old sport. He challenges his claim of attending Oxford. He is jealous of Gatsby's newfound wealth and diminishes it by saying that he is a no-one from nowhere, meaning that even though he is now rich, he does not possess the qualities that Tom does, those which can only come with growing up rich. Finally, he asks Gatsby about his relationship with Daisy. Gatsby replies that Daisy loves him, and that she never loved Tom at all. He asks Daisy to tell Tom the same, and she does. But when Tom reminds Daisy of some of the moments that they shared, she relents and admits that she did love Tom. Before leaving, Tom accuses Gatsby of bootlegging. He starts to deny this accusation, until Daisy begs Tom to take her home. 
At Tom's instruction, Daisy and Gatsby drive back to Long Island together. In the wake of all this conflict, Nick comes to the sudden realization that it's his 30th birthday. As they drive back through the Valley of Ashes, Tom, Nick and Jordan arrive at the scene of a car accident. From the point of view of Mike Callis, who runs a coffee shop next to Wilson's garage and serves as chief witness to the police investigation into the accident, we learn that Myrtle Wilson was struck by a passing car. Nick suspects that Gatsby and Daisy's car must have been responsible. Tom jumps to the assumption that Gatsby was the driver. The group arrive back at the Buchanan's, where Nick finds Gatsby hiding outside. He reveals that Daisy was driving, but that he plans to take the blame. Through the window, Nick sees Tom and Daisy eating together and chatting, seemingly reconciled and no longer in conflict with one another. He leaves, while Gatsby remains behind, watching over Daisy. After a sleepless night, Nick goes to see Gatsby in his mansion, where Gatsby tells him that he had waited for Daisy until four in the morning, but that nothing had happened. Nick tries to tell Gatsby to forget about her, but Gatsby will not hear of it. He then tells Nick about how he had courted Daisy in his youth, and how he had lied about his social position to make her believe that he was worthy of her. He felt that they had an unbreakable bond, and asked her to wait for him until after the war, when he would be able to make something of himself. Despite her promises, she marries Tom, who has a better social standing and who her parents approve of. Nick tells Gatsby that he is worth more than all of them. The focus shifts, and we follow Mr. Wilson who goes to Tom to demand information about who was driving the car when his wife was killed. Wilson, believing that it must have been Gatsby who killed his wife, and that it must have been him who was her lover, goes to his home and kills Gatsby and then himself. In the final chapter of the novel, Nick describes the funeral and the crowds of reporters who gossip and spread rumours about Gatsby and his relationship to Wilson and Myrtle. Nick tries to hold a large funeral for Gatsby, but none of his friends attend the event leaving only Nick, Owl Eyes, and Gatsby's father, who fills Nick in on Gatsby's early life. Nick becomes sick of life in the East, and decides to move back to the Midwest. Before he does so, however, he meets Tom for a final time, and comes to the conclusion that the Buchanans are uncaring people who let their wealth shield them from any consequences of the terrible things they do. On his last night in West Egg, Nick goes to Gatsby's empty mansion, where he erases some graffiti on the steps, and lays on the beach, where he imagines Gatsby's life as that of the American pioneers, and that of every American who is trying to achieve the American dream. Nick's final thought is that the human race will continue to strive for the unattainable. Despite the fact that it is now considered a classic of American fiction, and has even been referred to as the great American novel, The Great Gatsby struggled to gain traction in its own day. By the end of 1925, it had sold fewer than 23,000 copies, and it experienced slow sales for the rest of Fitzgerald's life. His final royalty check was for just $13.13. It would take many decades for the novel to gain its present acclaim and popularity, but today its place as one of the most popular books in the English-speaking world seems unlikely to fade. <laughs>